0: Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, Objected. Why was this perfume sold? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Is it was worth a year's wages? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of the Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him.
1: Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, that in it you show us who you are. You show us who we are in you. So I pray in these moments as we attend to your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, not just to see this neat thing that happened a couple thousand years ago, but that you would reveal to us in these moments Jesus. And that as we see him for who he is, as that light shines, that you would bring freedom to us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. One of my favorite novels is called *The Idiot*. It's written by a guy named Dostoyevsky, a Russian guy, nineteenth century. He wrote this novel called *The Idiot*, and what he wanted to do, he looked around in the society that he lived in. He kind of lived in like high society Russia at the time, and he thought, "Man, the the relationships that I see are so bad, and and the society I live in seems so dark." And so he imagined this character, Prince, Prince Mishkin, He imagined a truly good man. What would a truly good man be like? Well, he was a humble man. He was a simple man. He loved people without pretense. He didn't put a mask on. I don't mean COVID masks. I mean, you know, the fake uh, costumes we hide behind so often. He loved without interior motives. He wasn't trying to work angles. And the the book's called The Idiot because when he lands in high society Russia at the time, People see him in his goodness, and all they can think is that he must be stupid. He's good, but all they can think is there must be something wrong with him. He's not trying to work an angle on me. He must be an idiot. He doesn't do it. I think we see something similar in the Gospel of John. I've talked about it, and John begins by calling Jesus light that is coming into the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it. It's not understood. The darkness is utterly baffled by the light and the goodness of Jesus. And what we see as the Gospel of John goes along is we see people who look at the light of Jesus and who he shows himself to be. And they they do come to understand. We see them in this passage and we'll get to them in in a second. But we also see strangely religious leaders of all people, pastors. We cannot understand the freedom that has come, and can only comprehend that this truly good man is an idiot that must be put away and got rid of. So we'll walk through this passage a little bit um, this morning. I'm breaking it up into a couple of different sections. The first one's this: the freedom of seeing Jesus for who He is in the Gospel of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We see Jesus revealing who He is. By taking very specific actions. If you read through the gospel, you will see John calls these signs. And it's not just the sense that Jesus is displaying who he is by what he does. We all do that. You know, the tree is known by its fruits. But what it is, is Jesus taking very specific, purposeful actions to show who he is and what he's about. Signs. Pointers that beg us to look deeper. And what, are these, what does Jesus do in these signs? We'll look through the Gospel of John. He heals. He brings healing. He forgives. He brings life. He makes things new. And all these signs show us that Jesus is the Son of God. God sent from God. And what He is up to is bringing a kingdom into this broken and dark world that is about forgiveness, healing, generosity, justice, and justice. A kingdom where the gracious God pours out His grace on his children bringing freedom from the bondage of sin and the brokenness of this world. Now there are some people, as I said, that saw these signs, these demonstrations of who Jesus was for what they were. People like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're pointed out to us in this passage. And they had experienced the profound freedom that the grace of Jesus brings. We see them in this passage, it's six days before the Passover, it's Probably a few weeks at least after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. that's the last and greatest sign, the demonstration that Jesus had done. John chapter 11, the chapter just before this one. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And so here, a number of weeks later, probably they're, they're throwing a party, a dinner, honoring Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they lived about two miles from Jerusalem. So they lived in this suburb that was just right outside the city. And so Jesus comes, it's right before Passover, it's two weeks, just to put the time frame, it's about two weeks before he's crucified when this happens. And Jesus has brought profound freedom in his grace to this family. But I want to point something out. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are very different people from one another. Very, very different people. And the freedom that Jesus has brought to their family impacts them all in very different ways. Take, uh, take Martha, for instance. She's mentioned in this passage. We see her, what, serving at the dinner. Well, if you've ever read through the Gospels, you know this is something that, Mary, I mean, that uh, Martha did. We meet her in Luke chapter 10 when she's serving again at a dinner. They're throwing a dinner in honor of who Jesus is. Now, Martha was probably either the head of household in this family or the person in the family, the oldest kid, who's getting everything done, the one who's attended to the details. So it's time for a party. All right, somebody's got to make sure the food's cooked. Somebody's got to make sure the decorations are up. I don't want to have decorations, but somebody's got to take care of all the logistical details. That is one. But when we meet her in Luke chapter 10, when they're hosting a dinner for Jesus, she's serving like she does here, but in that passage we need a Martha whose eyes are not focused on Jesus. Her eyes are focused on her sister, Mary. And Martha is profoundly bothered because Mary is not doing as much as she is. Martha is bothered because her sister is not working as hard as she is. She's serving in Luke 10, but there's no joy in it. There's no joy in her service. There's only a bitterness that is growing in her heart. A judgment that has turned against her sister and probably others as well. But notice in this passage, we see Martha serving. There's no complaint. She's serving, so she's using her gifts. She's naturally inclined to that, it seems to be. But in this passage, she's allowed to serve this dinner without having her eyes on what others may or may not be doing. She's serving. The freedom that Jesus has brought to her, that she can take her eyes off of other people and be free of the judgment that she might be visiting on them for what they may or may not be doing, and she can serve. Or take Lazarus here, Lazarus, who was dead for four days, brought back to life and power. What is he doing at this feast? He is reclining and he is resting and feasting in the presence of Jesus. He is free to do that. Life has been brought to him. He who was dead is now alive. And the freedom he feels in the presence of Jesus is to enjoy Jesus. To rest in peace. Or take Mary. The freedom Jesus brings brings to her leads her to a shocking action of sacrifice and devotion. She feels the freedom to weep in joy without fear or shame to let her hair down literally and let others deal with their disappointment. Why? Because I think she's been freed from the verdicts of other people. This is what the presence of Jesus has done for the stand. Freedom to serve without a sense of earning. Freedom to feast and rest. Freedom to feel deeply and express devotion. There's a lesson here for us, I think. For some of us, and this may be at different times in life because we go through different seasons of experience. But for some of us, devotion to Jesus might mean resting in his presence like Lazarus. That's not to say that is all that it means. mean. But especially if you have been profoundly burned out. Especially if you've been burned out in church in your experience. Freedom brought to you by Jesus might be a season for you simply reveling in the grace that God brings to you. Just sitting back and rejoicing. For some of us, devotion to Jesus and the freedom that He brings, it might mean we dive in and we, we serve, it might mean action. It might be jumping into the details of what it means to care for other people and taking joy in this because grace has meant that we can serve without any sense of earning. We can serve without plugging in our good deeds and our bad deeds in the spreadsheet in our mind at the end of the day to see if we've done enough. We can let go of this paycheck kind of thinking of our relationship with God and serve. And for some of us, devotion to Jesus Will mean freedom to weep with joy. For all of us, it means that we do have the freedom to step out of the verdicts that we live under—verdicts that we may have passed on ourselves, verdicts that might have been passed on us by teachers or parents or pastors. We have the freedom to own that we are, as we sing, "Who He says we are, that we are delighted in joy." That brings me to my next section: the things that blind us. This passage focuses on Mary specifically because it's her action that draws the objection of Judas. What Mary did was demonstrative and an emotional. uh, It was demonstrative and and emotional in a way that it was not okay for women to do in public, especially at this time. She takes this pint of expensive perfume, and expensive doesn't even begin to describe it. As it says in verse 5, this perfume was worth a full year's salary for a regular worker. It's probably the most valuable thing she owns. And what she does is she breaks this open and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And she lets her hair down to wipe his feet. And we don't know exactly why she did this. As far as like what was going on in her head to lead her to think, I need to break up my perfume and wipe his feet with my hand. But what we do know is that all of this was a huge social no-no. This was a huge social no-no. Women did not let their hair down in the presence of anybody but immediate family. What Mary's doing here is taking the risk of being known as the crazy woman who doesn't know how to control herself. The woman who takes things too far. The woman who's too much. This was foolishness to anyone who had refused to open their eyes to the light of who Jesus was. That was shining in front of them. People like Judas here, who is blinded by greed. He's blinded by greed. The first thing the text tells us is that Judas was one of the disciples. Judas, of all people, should have seen this family, freed by the presence of Jesus... And and broken out in rejoicing. Even even the Mary in this socially awkward, I'm sure it made people uncomfortable in the room. Actions Judas should have seen it and said, Yes. Yes. After all, Judas was one who had been traveling with Jesus for years. And he was being trained to be a pastor. He was being trained to be the person who has a front row seat to these delightful joys of life when people see the freedom of Jesus and the shepherd them well in it. But all he can think about, as we see, is money. All he can think about is money. He objects to this happening because, as he says, it's a waste of resources. This perfume could have been sold at a high price than the money given to the poor. Of course text also tells us he didn't actually care for the poor. He objected to her devotion because he knew that that meant the money would not be in his hands. I think Judas would have been fine with Mary's sacrifice if it made him rich. Like many pastors throughout history, he was fine taking advantage of people's faith by taking their money. But when he was bypassed, when Mary dares to go directly to Jesus, and to worship Jesus in a sacrificial way without it being channeled through his greedy hands, that's going to be a chance. he been blinded by his greed. Of course, he's not the only person blinded to Jesus in this passage. In verse 10, we see the chief priests. Again, I want to point out, these are pastors who have been blinded by fear. They're terrified. We looked at this in the passage last week. They're terrified that Jesus is going to cause too big of a stir and disrupt the system that they had set up when they were on top. They mentioned it in chapter 11. They said if we let him keep going, he's going to draw everybody to himself and the Romans will come and take our temple away and take our nation away. And Caiaphas, the high priest, says he's he's got to die. He's got to die. But here we see that their opposition to Jesus has gone to even further extreme. Did you notice it? They're plotting here not just to have Jesus killed or arrested, And executed, but to kill Lazarus as well. Their desire for power and their fear about losing it has led them to plot the murder of a man who should have been under their care. A man they probably knew. He lived two miles from the city. Of course, this isn't something that just existed during the time of Jesus. There's such a long line, and it grieves me, of religious leaders who, like Judas, want to use people's religious devotion for greed. Who want to make people come to them to get to Jesus. You see it? Turn on religious television. You'll see the pastors telling you, you send me this amount of money, and I'll send you a blessing. A prayer cloth or something. The idea here is, send me your money. I am your vessel, your channel to God's blessing coming to you. Or religious leaders like the ones here in Jerusalem who see religion as a useful way to power. And it's fascinating to me to see how Jesus deals with it. That brings me to my last section, Leave it alone. Look at his response to Judas. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Speaks not only to Judas, I, I don't think it's just to Judas, recorded to us. Jesus is speaking to all so called pastors who would use people's faith as a tool for a normal group. All those pastors who would make women, especially, go through them to get to Jesus right when Jesus says, What? Leave her alone. Mary's actions are not always. This passage is just a few days to two weeks. Before his crucifixion. And Jesus knows where things are headed next. And here he says that Mary's extreme act of devotion. Was preparing them for what was next. Now in the ancient world. There were a couple times in life. When applying oil or perfume to somebody. Was something done to honor them. One was very common and one was pretty common. The common one was preparing a body for beer. It was kind of like our common in our days, bodies were prepared for burial by embalming and all of that, but then they didn't have funeral homes. When The passed away, and the ones who loved this person would prepare their body with care. And one of the things they would do is apply perfume or oil in preparation for this. It was a way to honor them. But the rare one of applying oil to honor somebody was when someone was being set apart as a priest or a king or a prophet. It would be a part of a ceremony where oil would be poured on their head or on their body. And it was a recognition that they were being set apart for this role. In the Old Testament, prophet, priest, or king. They were all set apart by oil being poured on them. What I think Jesus is saying here is that Mary is doing both of these things. Now I think Mary may have thought, I'm pouring this oil on his body to show that he's my prophet, and he's my priest, and he's my king. That might have been the only thing in her mind. He has brought me freedom. And I have to anoint him as my prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus is saying here that what she's doing is also preparing him for how he would be her prophet, priest, and king. His death. His death is the ultimate expression of him as our prophet, as our priest, as our king, as prophet. He declares God's truth. And his death speaks to us. The truth that our world is corrupt and unjust and to find freedom, we've got to see it for what it is and turn from it to Jesus. As priest who represents uh, us to God, he stands as our mediator. And in his death, he shows us that he is a God who stands in for us, who takes on the penalty for our sin, who offers himself as a sacrifice that we might not be swallowed up by our sin. In his pen. And as our king, he subdues all the enemies that stand against us by gutting sin of its power to condemn us so that we might be brought from darkness to the kingdom of his life. As I said, Mary may not realize that her action is doing this. In fact, she probably did. She'd seen the glory of Jesus and responded in this great action. Of devotion, But like all true worship of Jesus, it proclaims Him for who He is. And our worship, like Mary's, often speaks a louder word than we realize. I don't think she thought, I'm going to do this and it's going to be written down in Scripture. And people are going to be talking about it for 2,000 years. I don't think that was in her mind at all. But our worship often speaks louder than we realize. Our worship is often the way that God reveals Himself to other people. You know, if you step back and think about it, uh, us gathering every Sunday morning in a room to sing some songs, to eat some bread, to drink some juice or, or wine, to hear somebody talk for 30 minutes, it's foolish. Especially if, you know, in our modern, uh, you, you got to get up and grind culture. You've got to make money. You've got to chase after the things. There are more productive things we could be doing at this time, if you're looking at it from that. But not if you've seen who Jesus is. When Jesus is revealed to us as who he is, when he shows us his grace, this goes from looking foolish from the inside, it looks glorious. Because right here in this room, we realize more is happening than just our intentions. That God is working like he does here through Mary. That as she does this extreme act, for us, it's not bringing perfume in and pouring would We'd smell like a bath and body works in here um, if we did that. But for us, when we come in and we sing, we might not realize that person sitting two chairs over from us does not have the strength of faith to sing this one. That they barely made it out of the house. But our voice lifts them up as we are bound together. It's not foolish and our worship speaks a louder word than their lives. So Jesus tells uh, Jesus to leave her alone. And then he quotes Deuteronomy. You will always have the poor with you. Now, this is a, a verse that Jesus said that I think has been misunderstood. Jesus is not saying, well, just ignore the poor because there are always going to be poor. That's not what Jesus is saying. When Deuteronomy 15 says that there will always be poor with you, Deuteronomy 15 is saying this: that there is never a good reason to not live in generosity. That it is always time to do good for poor. What Jesus is saying is that worship of God and care for the poor are not opposed to one another. It's not a zero sum game where we figure out, all right, we need to care for the poor sixty percent, and then we can throw forty percent of the resources. That's not it. They're not in opposition to one another. We can't make excuses for greed. That's what Judas is doing. Judas, leave her alone and stop pretending. In this passage, Jesus doesn't directly address the religious leaders. I spoke about them being blinded to who Jesus is by their fear of losing power. But notice, in verse 12, in this passage, uh, directly after our passage, which we'll get to actually um, in a few weeks, Jesus enters into Jerusalem publicly in ways that clearly signal that he's king. And we'll talk about the significance of that actually on Palm Sunday. But notice this passage states that Jesus leaves Jerusalem the religious leaders not only have it out for Jesus now, they're planning to execute Lazarus. And so what does Jesus do? He takes the target with him. Jesus leaves Lazarus' presence and takes the target with him. Jesus shows us what kind of leader he he is. One whose thoughts are for the good of his people. One who does not use people. One who doesn't see Lazarus as cannon fodder that can be tossed aside. (coughs) Jesus takes the target. Friends, we have an invitation this morning. And this is what the Spirit is saying to us right now. We have an invitation to see in this passage not just freedom brought to this family, but to see freedom brought to us. Do you see our Savior? Do you see our Jesus who frees you, who rescues you, who invites you today to step into that freedom and own it in every part of your life. This is God's will for your life. To walk in the freedom that Jesus has brought to you. So sing and dance and weep and serve and delight and joy, the joy of the Father, Son, and Spirit for you. A joy that Jesus literally moved heaven and earth to bring to you. No freedom. No freedom from, from sin. Know that you are forgiven of sin by Jesus if you come to Him by faith, and your sin has no more power to condemn you, period. Know that freedom. Know that sin and your selfishness and the things you struggle with are not your master. Turn from those things and turn to Him and find that freedom. Like Martha. We can let go of the need to measure ourselves against other people. We can let go of the poison of bitterness that tears our hearts to pieces. We can walk in the freedom and serve with joy with our eyes fixed on Jesus and other people. Like Lazarus, we can rest in Jesus and feast in joy. We can delight in Him because He delights in us. Feel the freedom of that today. Like Mary, we can stop living under the verdicts of others. You can own that God is who you are, who God says you are. We sang that earlier. And as Jesus himself says, who he sets free is free indeed. And that means that every form of bondage is a lie that is being unraveled. Jesus tells all voices that would seek to condemn you to leave her alone. Leave him alone. Whatever that bondage is that is holding your heart bound must give way to the freedom that Jesus brings to you. It has to. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, God's calling you right now to abandon all the things that hold you bound. To come to Him by faith and find this freedom. To trust in Him and find that every sin that you have ever committed will be forgiven and that you are righteous in God's sight. Trust in Him and He will change your heart and make you new. And do that today. Today's a perfect day. And for all of us this morning. See our Savior. Know this freedom. Feel this freedom. You are free. Receive it by Let's pray. Father, thank you for the glories of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that you have moved heaven and earth to bring to us. I pray, Lord, that we would see this freedom. That we would see you and not be blinded by things like greed or fear or whatever it may be. That we would feel the freedom to rest in your presence, to feast in joy. That we would feel the freedom to serve without watching other people or measuring or judging other people. That we would feel the freedom, Lord, to walk out from under the verdicts of other people. That we would trust your voice. To impress upon our hearts now the beauty of Jesus, the reality of the gospel. And free us in our hearts to
0: cling to you by faith. Pray also in the name of Jesus.